Is there anything or anyone in your life that is making your life feel out of control? Are there worries keeping you up at night or stealing joy and happiness from things you would like to be able to focus on or be more present with, but that worry in the back of your mind is just kind of always there, camped out, keeping you distracted or distraught? Today's episode is just for you. We are going to teach you some life-changing concepts that have helped both Neil in his addiction and me in my journey with codependency or anyone else who has worries and stresses as we all do to identify what's ours to control and when to let go. All right. Hi, everyone. So happy you're here today. Hi, everyone. Here with Neil. And I want you to start out today by doing something for me. I want you to touch your nose. Are you asking me or are you asking I'm everybody? asking everyone, but Everyone's I'm doing it. I'm, Neil's I'm doing actually it. doing it right now. And what you're touching is all you can control. And that is something that we heard in a meeting recently. Well, it wasn't that recently. It was a few months ago, but I thought it was super powerful. Our friend Xander shared about how he was counseling someone who was kind of obsessing and worrying and freaking out about a situation that was out of their control. And he said, I want you to touch your nose. And he said, that's all you can control. And it's something that has stuck with me ever since he shared that. And I think about it a lot. And so we're going to talk about control, surrender, the serenity prayer, um, detachment, some of these principles, guiding principles that have just changed my life, changed Neil's life. So let's start off with what the serenity prayer is, what it means to you, why that's important to pretty much any addict in recovery. Yeah. Um, I don't know, admittedly, I don't know the exact background of or the circumstances that the original serenity prayer came about by, but it's just a, a prayer that's talked uh, a lot or referenced a lot in in AA or 12-step programs or recovery or even outside of recovery. I've heard it mentioned, but this is just pulling from um, step three in the ARP or Addiction Recovery Program Manual for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, basically, it just it just kind of goes through it. It just says, these words adopted from a prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr um, and known as the Serenity Prayer can help you as you decide to trust and obey God. So the prayer goes like this. God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Um, which I love that because so much of the... So many of the challenges that I feel like I face in my life or people face in, in life in general has to do with external situations and external things that much of it, when you really boil it down, it's like, man, I can't do anything about this. There is there's nothing that I can control. A lot of times there is, but I love that about the serenity prayer is it's like, okay, give me enough peace to accept whatever it is I can't change. Let me look at it. I mean, COVID, great example. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, there's, you know, there's things we can do, but even in that courage to change the things I can, you know, it's looking at a situation and looking at, okay, what do I have control over? And then let me take action and, and do that. But there is a point where it's like, man, that's, that's all I can do. And then accepting the rest. And, and for me, that comes down to trusting God um, and accepting that there is a higher purpose, higher plan, and an eternal perspective with whatever it is that's happening around me. So, and then the most important part of that 
prayer to me is the wisdom. Wisdom to know the difference. Absolutely. Um, it's hard to tell that. And, and a lot of times for me in situations, it's not until I kind of get outside of myself and talk to somebody else where I can start to differentiate the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, ultimately, the spiritual connection and establishing a solid spiritual connection is where I'm going to get that wisdom in, in the purest form. So how does that apply as an addict? You know, the wisdom to know the difference. If you're trying to fight an addiction, where does it, where does that come into play? Um, it's super, super hard. The self-deception in addiction is crazy. Um, and there's, it's really so much of it is built on lies. Like in order to, to really engage, at least for me and engage in an, in an addiction, um, I have to basically deceive myself because <laughs> I know what I'm doing or I feel what I'm doing is wrong. I'm like, okay, I know that this, or if you're doing drugs or whatever, like this is harmful or there has to be some justification to get you into that. And then that just builds and grows and grows until you can compartmentalize and really develop. You have to do this through, through kind of self-deception. Um, you can compartmentalize, um, the addiction. So it's justifiable. And then the rest of your life to feel like you're a normal human being. Um, otherwise it creates this crazy cognitive dissonance, which is a fancy term I learned in my communications studies as a, as a student in college. But, um, these two opposing ideas, your mind can't hold on to two opposing ideas or, um, it has to kind of go to one or the other. So it creates all these different lies in the addiction. So the wisdom to know the difference or to see the self-deception, to see truth from error, to see when you're lying to yourself is totally key. Um, and it, and it takes a lot of times for me, like it took me getting outside of myself because that's where I developed all of these lies and this compartmentalization in the addiction was in my own head. So I can't always see it. Or a lot of times I just don't even see it. So I have to get outside of myself and talk to in the program. You have a sponsor. Um, you can kind of get outside and they, they can look at things objectively and just be like, look, man, you're, you are lying to yourself um, and then help you see it. Um, but ultimately, you know, as I was saying, it really is establishing that connection with God. And then through the spirit, the spirit can help you to differentiate and have the wisdom to know the difference between truth and error right and wrong. I think it's really interesting that as an addict, it's so different from maybe the family member of an addict, because for me, the touch your nose concept comes into play when I think about trying to control a person I love who's making choices that I don't agree with that I know are ultimately making them not happy. And it's very interesting to love someone who you know is trying to improve, but they just can't seem to get over whatever bad habit or addiction that they're trying to overcome because you can sit back and see, oh, if you would just do this or if you, or you think you see, if you would just do this, or if you would just make this different decision, then you'd be happy. Or maybe you think I would do it that way. Or maybe you're even, uh, these are the, some of the thought process that I would go through too is, if I would just do this, then Neil's outcome would be that. If I would just say this this way or our interactions, if I was better, if I was happier, if I wasn't so hard on him, or sometimes I would think if I was more mad, then he wouldn't 
feel like it wasn't a big deal if he started engaging in his addiction again. You know, these were so many thoughts that I would bounce around with back when he was active in his addiction years and years ago. And the truth is none of that was going to determine the outcome that I wanted because it was all up to Neil. And so the concept of touch your nose is to remind yourself that you are only in charge of yourself. You aren't in charge of other people. You may influence them a little bit, but ultimately each person is in charge of him or herself. And one of the things that helped me to finally just really have a completely different perspective and start to understand how to do this touch your nose um, outlook on life so much better is the book Codependent No More. It's something that I live by. It's something that I refer to often um, for myself or also as I'm counseling other women who I've worked with in the program, um, in the 12-step program when they're trying to overcome codependency. And so this is something that she says in Melody Beattie in her book, Codependent No More, and it really breaks down exactly what this touch your nose concept is about for someone who's worrying on behalf of another person. Worrying and obsessing keeps us so tangled in our heads we can't solve our problems. Whenever we become attached in these ways to someone or something, we become detached from ourselves. We lose touch with ourselves. We forfeit our ability to think, feel, act, and take care of ourselves. We lose control. And gosh, there were so many times where I felt like I was losing control of myself, my happiness, my peace, because I was so obsessed with trying to control Neil's addiction. Do you remember how that felt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I totally unfortunately do. for Neil. But, um, you know, with the greatest of intentions, I kept trying to do things to manipulate our life or our circumstances so that Neil wouldn't want to act out or wouldn't need to act out or whatever. And it, none of it worked, you know, none of that was, um, resulted the way I wanted it to. In fact, just the opposite happens oftentimes. And I feel like that's usually, that was the case while, as I tried to control your addiction, it made you less and less responsible for yourself and almost like gave you permission to just yeah. keep going. Right. Well, I think there's, there's kind of a two part thing to that. So, I mean, um, you know, you can kind of, on the addict's perspective, you, I became codependent in my own way where I was like, you know, okay, well you, you're controlling everything and you're locking everything out and okay, tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know? And, and I kind of treat, treated you kind of as a sponsor, or, you know, you tell me. Um, but then what the, the problem is, is it builds resentment and it builds a lot of frustration and resentment. And then that resentment will lead to more, well, at least for me, and uh, lead to more acting out and, and acting out on the addiction. And it kind of becomes, um, you know, just, just a really unhealthy situation where it kind of, you end up chasing your tail. You just feel like you're running in circles where it's just this constant cycle of trying to control the addiction for the the spouse. And then the addict is like trying to, you know, work through the resentments, but then that gives the addict, you know, mental permission of like, fine, I'm just going to go act out. And then it's like more upset, more control, more, and you're just spinning in this cycle over and over and over again. And then I think really what totally broke it for me was the last relapse that I had when I, I was all out of good ideas. I'd been in meetings and 12 step programs and recovery programs for a few years. 
and was like, okay, I'm just going to work this addiction recovery program through our church. And, and then really when you walked in, uh, Corinne walked in and, and just said, Hey, whatever you do or whatever you don't do in recovery, it's all you. Um, I will be fine. I have a connection with God. Like I'm, I will be okay. Whatever happens or doesn't happen, it's up to you. And I knew that she meant it. It wasn't like a vengeful, spiteful thing. Like, oh, well, it's up to you. You get to decide. You know, it wasn't like negative like that. It was like, hey, seriously, all you, whatever you want to do, you're your own agent. I'm not going to try and control anything anymore. Um, and I felt it. And what it did is it put the burden back on me to be like, shoot, sink or swim. It, it's on me. And so that's when I really delve, you know, dove into the steps, got a sponsor and really started working the program and trying to just get really, really honest with myself. Um, and, and things started to, started to, to change, I think at that point. And for me, what that looked like was Neil's last relapse. Well, if we want to get real, um, vulnerable when he had his last relapse, I remember just feeling like I was falling apart inside and I was, I, w I have described it before as feeling like a semi truck hits you. Like you're walking across the street and a semi truck going 90 miles an hour just runs you over. And that's what it would feel like when I would be blindsided that for, especially Neil's last relapse, um, I thought he was doing well and then found out that actually for a few months he had not been doing well. And, uh, it was such a blind side to me. And, but at the same time, my happiness was so tied up in Neil's happiness. If he was having a good day, then I could have a good day. If his recovery was going well, then I could be happy, but vice versa too. If he wasn't doing well, then I just felt sucked into the misery of, oh my gosh, we're back at square one. We're not doing well again. And I was so obsessively tangled up in his choices and his life and so extremely codependent. Um, and I remember just sobbing uncontrollably. We went to a meeting. I, Neil didn't even want to take me to the meeting that night, actually, because I was just bawling, crying, um, couldn't stop crying. And I just sat there and didn't say anything, but just sobbed and sobbed through the whole meeting. And there have only been a few times in my life where I have felt this low, but this was one of the times where I felt like I don't even want to live anymore. I know that sounds so extreme and I, I haven't shared it this publicly before, but that was truly how low I felt. And I've shared with Neil since then that like, if, you know, at that time I felt like if it wasn't for our kids, I just wouldn't even want to exist this way anymore because I felt so miserably, um, like I could never control whether I was going to be happy or not because I was a slave to Neil's addiction and whether or not he wanted to be happy. Um, so the next day I called my friend Mandy, who we've done a podcast episode with before, but she was the one that originally introduced us to the 12 step program in our church ARP. So I called her and I just, you know, vented all of the things that were happening to me to her and how I felt. And she just said, well, are you calling me because you want me to listen or are, are you calling me because you want to do something about it? And I said, I will do anything thinking she was going to tell me what to do. 
to make Neil get sober. And in so many words, she basically told me to touch my nose. And she said, okay, you need to work the steps. And that's when I started working my own 12-step program. And step three was the, ironically, I, I had done steps one and two in the workbook and kind of worked through number one, identifying that you have a problem that you can't control. That was easy for me to identify. Step two was supposed to be hope. And that was the step that I was on, which ironically, I had no hope at that point. And Mandy wisely um, advised me, okay, you need to push through and get to step three. And step three is where the magic's going to happen for you. And that's exactly what happened to me because step three is all about surrender and surrendering anything outside of your control. And Neil's addiction was 100% out of my control. And when I read through that step, totally committed myself to God that I, I was like, okay, Heavenly Father, I am handing this over to you. I am no longer in charge of Neil's addiction. I'm not in charge of his choices. I can't control them. I am not going to try to be in control of them anymore. It was such a spiritual experience for me to feel like I was handing this pile of bricks to Jesus that I had been carrying around for years, years and years. I remember telling Neil, I am seven years tired of this because at that point we had been married, I think for five years and dated for two years before that, where I knew about his addiction for the majority of the time we dated. And, and I was just exhausted. Um, and just really, truly, that was my rock bottom of trying to control Neil's addiction. And, and it was truly a spiritual experience to feel like not only that I gave that up and was willing to surrender it, but that Jesus actually took that pile of bricks for me and said, you're done. You don't have to carry this anymore. I'm going to do it for you. And in a more secular way, here is how Melody Beattie describes surrender or detachment, which detachment can happen a lot more frequently. It's not necessarily like a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing where you have to remind yourself, oh, I need to detach from this person's moodiness or their anger or their problems or they're stuck in a rut again because they got themselves there. Okay. This is how she says it. Detachment is based on the premises that each person is responsible for himself, that we can't solve problems that aren't ours to solve and that worrying doesn't help. And that, that this is again, touch your nose. That's all you can control. You can't control anything outside of yourself. And when I started to truly live that principle, I got my happiness back. I got my peace back for myself. And I just became such a happier person, truly believing that whether Neil was going to have a good day or a bad day, I could have a connection with God that would give me peace and happiness regardless of how he was going to choose to live his life. And I really meant it when I said to him, I'm not going to control your addiction anymore. It's on you. This is all you. So whatever you choose to do, it's you. Yeah, that's super. That was a super pivotal moment. Um, and I love that in that quote where like worrying doesn't do anything. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why for some reason in my mind, sometimes I'll think, I'll think this like, oh, if I worry enough about something, mm -hmm. it'll change it. Yep. Like, you know, if, if, if I put in enough worry, then, then there will be a different outcome. So it's just kind of crazy how that works. But, um, I always think of whenever we talk of, of like surrender or step three, which is basically what we're talking about, touch your nose and what you control, but then turning it over to God, serenity prayer. Um, the, I loved, I grew up on the Indiana Jones movies. You probably don't 
I don't know if you ever watched any of <laughs> a those. little bit. I'm not um, as familiar as you are. I've seen them a time. They're or really two. cool. Harrison Ford there in the nineties. Um, but the last one, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you know, they go, they're trying to find the the Holy Grail, literally, the cup that caught the blood of Jesus Christ when he was crucified. And it was hidden in this kind of ancient, I don't know if it's like a temple or something that they kind of find. And so they go through all of these challenges to get this Holy Grail. They go through all of these, these crazy situations. One of which is you have to step out over this. Uh, it looks like there's, there's just basically a, a big, um, like Canyon, like big cliff. And you have to, you know, Indiana Jones has to step out onto the, in over this cliff and trust that there's going to be a bridge there. And his, you know, it's his dad's kind of, you, know, you can hear his dad in the background. He's like, you must believe boy. And he, you know, he holds his heart and he steps out and he finds out, you know, that there's a ground there. There's actually a bridge that he couldn't see, but he had to step on to figure that out. So it's like surrender for me is, is kind of that process is stepping out and trusting God that he's going to be there. And, and, and through that process and through letting go of what I want to control and what I want to do and what I think is best of like, no, it's got to be this way. Then I find that the floor meets my foot when I step out over that ledge and I trust God and, and he's there for me. Um, and just the last part of the movie, he gets the grail, you know, they try and take it out and there's an earthquake opens up this big gap in the ground and the grail falls down into this gap. And so somebody tries to go for it. They fall kind of down and to their death. And then Indiana Jones tries to go for it and he's touching it and his dad's holding his, his arm. And he's like, I can get it. I can get it. You know, his dad's telling him, he's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm losing. I'm slipping. My, my grip is slipping. I need your other hand in order for you to hold on to. And he's like, no, I can get the grail. I can get the grail. He finally, it's like such a powerful moment. Um, you know, he just, stops his dad stops and looks him right in the eye indiana jones in the eye and he says he says indiana let it go and then he finally lets go of the grail grabs his dad's other hand and he pulls him up but i think of that desire of like i can get it i can get it i can control this i can do it i can do it i can you know and and we're taught that right like in society that's that's celebrated of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps make it happen you can do it um you know push harder try, try more, try harder. So getting into recovery for me was totally the completely counterintuitive to anything I'd ever learned in any self self-help book out there, which was, if you think hard enough, you try hard enough, you, you know, you can work your way out of this on your own. Um, but really coming back to the serenity prayer and saying, you know, okay, what can I control? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't control, recognizing that there are things I can't. Um, and then having the wisdom to know the difference um, and the courage to control the things I can, but most importantly, the wisdom to know the difference. And then I got to surrender the rest and my God take it from there. Kind of step out over the ledge, so to speak. someone who's an outsider they may think oh so if you're the addict 
then the loved one as obsessing and worrying about not being able to control you, which is true in an unhealthy relationship, which is so common. But what about you worrying and how does worry and obsession tap into you wanting to act out on your addiction? Um, well, there's this concept of like, I never, well, for me, I never wanted to, I always felt like pornography was wrong. I was taught that. Um, and I've never wanted to like really engage in that, but that was just a, a weakness that I developed. And so I knew the stakes. I knew what I was doing. And that was probably one of the most frustrating parts of, of the addiction or is the most frustrating part of the addiction when you're in your active you know, or have some idea what's at stake. It's like, I know my wife's going to get mad. I know that potentially she could leave me. I know that I could lose my family. I know that I could, this could affect my church membership. Um, it affects my connection with God. I feel disconnected when I do this. Like, I don't feel good about myself, like all of this stuff, or for like a drug addict, it's like, I could die, um, you know, or I could get a DUI. I could kill somebody like whatever. All of these consequences are right in front of you, but it's this crazy experience of walking right into it and doing it anyway and watching yourself do it. And that's just the most insane, you know, incomprehensible demoralization. You know, it's a term that they use in recovery type of situation. Um, and so knowing that and trying to get better. I would try and control the situation. I'm just like, okay, okay, let me just white knuckle, white knuckle and and try and just do this on my own and I can do it. I can do it. You know, I can do it by myself. I don't, you know, I don't need to whatever, reach out to somebody or I don't need to call anybody. I don't need to, you know, I don't need anybody's help. I can just do this. Um, I can control it. I can control it, you know, and and, and so that's where that control comes in. And then even when well-meaning people like, you know, like a spouse or somebody steps in and is like, hey, maybe talk to the bishop or, hey, maybe, you know, it's like the defensive kicks in and it's like, no, why would I do? I got it. Like I'm doing or like you don't believe I can do it. Like what's what's your problem? Um, and so it's letting go of all of that and just taking my hands off the wheel and saying, you know what? I don't got it. Um and that's okay. And that is a beautiful, beautiful feeling to finally admit I don't got it. And I am willing to do whatever I need to do to, um, let, let God take the wheel here and, and do whatever needs to be done in order for me to be where I need to be. I love that. I think we want to really differentiate too that surrender or detachment or wh whatever you want to call it, touch your nose. Uh, this is not a one-time event. This is not a, I changed my mind one day and forever and ever I've been healed and, and I don't worry about things out of my control. It's an pretty much for me, everyday decision. Although I will say the longer you practice it, the easier it gets to identify things that are, you know what, that's out of my control. Um, I'm certainly not perfect at it though. There's definitely things that I worry about or, um, obsess or, whatever, try to control that are out of my control. But this is what Melody Beattie says about that. She says, detachment is both an act and an art. It is a way of life. I believe it is also a gift and it will be given to those who seek it. And I so resonate with that because it's just a way of life. Like once I realized, once I 
identified with and read through and understood codependent no more and that mentality of detachment, surrendering Neil and his addiction and all the things that I can't control to our Heavenly Father, it was just a better way to live. I was like, oh my gosh, there's a better way to live than the way I've been living pretty much my whole life of trying to control things that are out of my control. Um, so I, I just really believe that that is for everyone. But, um, if you're wondering, okay, well, what in my life should I be surrendering or detaching from? Here's a good, um, description from her. She says, when should we detach when we can't stop thinking, talking about, or worrying about something or someone, when our emotions are churning and boiling, when we feel like we have to do something about someone because we can't stand it another minute, when we're hanging on by a thread and it feels like that single thread is frayed. And when we believe we can no longer live with the problem we've been trying to live with, it is time to detach. You will learn to recognize when detachment is advisable. A good rule of thumb is you need to detach most when it seems like the least likely or possible thing to do. Interesting. <laughs> it's so true but though. True. The pandemic that you brought up a minute ago is a great example. I feel like I was totally obsessing about that at first when I was the pandemic first hit, I was seven, eight months pregnant with Harry. I started obsessing about, well, what if Neil can't come to the hospital with me? What if I get COVID? What if he gets COVID? What if the baby gets COVID? We, I mean, there were things we could do to control that. And we did. We really locked ourselves down. We wore masks. We stayed home except for basically just grocery visits. One of us, I mean, even with grocery, um, it was hard, but we would try to get like, you know, groceries delivered. And I mean, we were extremely cautious for the seven or eight weeks or whatever it was leading up to Harry's birth once the pandemic hit. But I still spent so much time worrying, obsessing, trying to, and in fact, like a few days before Harry was born and they, the hospital called and said, you have to have a COVID test. I was freaking out about the fact that I had been so locked down and so careful. And yet they were going to ask me to go to a testing center where all these people who think they have COVID are showing up to get tested. And I'm like, I I'm like three days out from having my baby. You want me to go there and be around these other people who think they have COVID and get tested, of course I'm going to get COVID. I was freaking out, trying to control everything. And, and I look back and I'm like, yeah, there were a couple little things that we could do that were in our control, but a worldwide, a global pandemic, totally out of our control. Not something that I, with all of my worrying and stress was able to control. And um, I mean, that's one example that maybe a lot of people can relate to, but I think it, it, comes into our lives with loved ones, with maybe something like job loss, which we've experienced, or sickness, or aging parents, or children who have issues, whether that's, you know, physical or emotional or or developmentally. or th There just are so many things in life that, yes, we can do some things to control it, but a lot of it is just out of our control. Absolutely. I mean, one thing too, to kind of note here is I've heard this and I've kind of thought this sometimes like a in trying to figure out how surrender works and letting go or just detachment, whatever you want to call it. Um, initially it can kind of feel like, well, that's just kind of a cop out, you know, mm -hmm. you're just copping out of your responsibilities or like, dude, right. there's all kinds of stuff you can do. You're just going to quit. You're going to quit on somebody. You're going to like claim, like claim that you're just 
incapable or unable, like that's a total cop out. And so that's where I think the part of the serenity prayer where it's, um, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can. I think that's really where that comes in is, um, no, there are things you can do and you need to and have to do. And I look at even recovery, it's like, oh yeah, there's, there's work to be done. Um, there's, there's a lot of work. And if you look through the steps, there's an inventory, um, there's, there's making amends with others. Um, there's, you know, working on your character defects, creating a spiritual connection, but thank goodness. And for good reason, it's a step-by-step program. And it's like, whatever step you're on, don't look beyond that step. Um, don't start looking at four when you're on step one, or don't start looking at step nine when you're on step five. Um, you know, and, and so it's sequential for a reason, but surrender is not a cop out, um, detachment and admitting, you know, that we don't have control over something is not a cop out. Um, it's, it's looking to God and asking for the wisdom to know the difference Mm -hmm. and being willing. I love that in the steps. It's, 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 you know, am I willing, um, became willing to make amends to people, um, you know, became There's willing still a to lot surrender. of work. Yeah. yeah. And even in like, you know, what, what we learn in, in, uh, you know, the sacrament prayers in our church, um, it uses the word willing a lot. Like, are you, you know, willing to take upon yourself the name of Jesus Christ? Um, and I think as we're willing, um, that's where the courage can come in to change the things that I can, um, and then having that wisdom to know the difference. So it's totally, it's not a cop out. Um, when, when done correctly. And yeah, there are situations that are dangerous or someone's, you know, in danger where it's like, yeah, you will take action, but it's having the wisdom to know the difference of when to take action. And then the courage to take that action, um, that comes from God and having that connection enables us to do that. Right. And I love what you said about, it's not a cop out because it can sound kind of like, well, it's not, it's out of my control. So whatever. It's really not like that. It's, um, I mean, there's, there's a part in codependent no more too, where she talks about detach, you know, hopefully detach in love or, you know, detach in anger if you have to, but you know, no matter what detach, um, from a situation that you can't control, but it doesn't mean that you're that you're done doing work. You just start doing the work on yourself instead of working on trying to control others or other situations. And here's another just gem from Codependent No More. When we attempt to control people and things that we have no business controlling, we are controlled. And that's how I felt in my dance with Neil about trying to control his addiction. I felt like he, his addiction was controlling me. And when I finally surrendered that and just said, here you go, Jesus. I am not going to carry around this burden of trying to control Neil's addiction anymore. It wasn't like I was, I had some, it wasn't like I went on vacation and just didn't think about life anymore. In fact, I would say some of the hardest work began then, but it was the most rewarding work because it was finally things that I could control. It was me working on myself. And a lot of people don't want to hear that if they feel like someone else is wronging them. Um, but that's where you're going to get so much more reward for the work that you're putting in because it's some on you, on something you can control versus trying to work at something that you have absolutely no control over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, I, yeah, there's a lot of great, I, I'm just listening to what's being said in this, you know, and what you're sharing, Corinne, like this is what a lot, so much of this is, is what would be in a meeting. If you've, if you've yeah. ever been curious about like, Oh, what, like, what is that like? What do they talk about in those 12 step meetings? I mean, this is kind of it. Um, yep. and, and people sharing and I'm, I'm just inspired by what you're saying because this is what, um, what we would hear and what I hear you say and what I hear you share about in, in a meeting. And I think that that gives strength and hope to a lot of people. And it, one part that I really like in our ARP manual, and it's, it's in step three, again, they kind of talk about the serenity prayer, but it says you can, you can accept with serenity, the current reality of your condition. When you trust in God's ability to help you, you can accept with serenity that although you cannot control the choices and actions of others, you can decide how you will act in each situation you face. You can decide with courage to trust your father in heaven and act according to his will. You can turn your will and life over to his care. You can decide to do what he asks and to keep his commandments. You may not be able to change some things in your life, but you can change your willingness to trust in God and obey him. And I just, I love the way that that's written. And that kind of um, sums up that concept for me of surrender and, and trusting in God and having the faith that um, although there's things that, that I cannot control, God's in control and I just need to, to relax and trust him. I think if we look at Jesus as the perfect example too of not trying to control others, but, you know, lead with love, lead by example. He did so many things to teach us, but not, I, there are no examples that I can think of in the Bible or in the scriptures where he told someone what to do and then stood there and watched them to make sure that they followed through or, you know, checked up on them. Hey, did you do that? Hey, did you, you know, that's just not how Jesus worked. Um, or trying to, you know, manipulate or coerce or get people to do things that maybe they wouldn't have wanted to do all on their own. The, uh, this is one of the most powerful things in Melody Beattie's book, Codependent No More. She says, most of us have heard the biblical parable about Mary and Martha. While Mary sat and talked with Jesus and his family, Martha cleaned and cooked. Before long, the story goes, Martha started banging pans, accusing Mary of being lazy. Martha complained that she had to do everything while Mary relaxed and enjoyed herself. Does this sound familiar? Jesus didn't let this one go by. He told Martha to hush. Mary knows what's important. He said, Mary made the right decision. His message might be that Mary made the right choice because it's more important to enjoy people than it is to cook and clean. But I also believe there's a message here about taking responsibility for our choices, doing what we want to be doing and realizing how we become angry when we don't. Maybe Mary's choice was right because she acted as she wanted to. Jesus helped many people, but he was honest and straightforward about it. He didn't persecute people after he helped them. He asked them what they wanted from him. Sometimes he asked why too. He held people responsible for their behavior. And I think this is a really good example of, you know, I've been such a Martha before where, um, you know, I've kind of been like, well, what about me? Or I want to do things that will get people to act a certain way or coerce behavior from them or whatever. It doesn't work. People are going to do what they want to do. And maybe it'll work in, in a moment, but 
like you said earlier, it's going to breed resentment. And that is not the Savior's way. The Savior's way is to lead people by love and example, but ultimately let them choose and let them be in charge of their own life. And again, if you go back to touch your nose, there are people, choices, circumstances that are out of our control. And the best thing, the best way to live is to live in control of yourself, to do what you know is best um, that will bring you happiness and joy. And this doesn't mean don't serve others. Like Jesus was the perfect example of living his life in service, but he never did it. And then like, you know, like this book says, persecuted people after or tried to make them feel like they owed him something or tried to manipulate situations so that people would do what he wanted them to do. He just loved and served with no expectation of anything in return. And he trusted that God's ways were so perfect that those who wanted to follow God would do it on their own. And I feel like if we want to follow Jesus's perfect example, we can look to him to see how we can live that serenity prayer perfectly and know that there are things in our control that we can do, that we can work hard at, that we can better ourselves. And then there's just things that are out of our control too. And that is Heavenly Father's plan for everyone to come here, to for everyone to be able to choose for themselves, be their own agents, like you said, and then reap what they sow. And that it's just a better way to live than to feel like if you obsess more, if you try harder, if you say the right things, if you do the right things, that it will get other people or other situations to change because that's just not how it works. Yeah, absolutely. If there's one takeaway from this podcast that you would want everybody to have, Corinne, what would that one thing be? I wish that I had figured out sooner, but maybe not because I learned so much from it, from that deep um, codependency that I lived in for so many years until I hit rock bottom. Maybe I needed to hit that rock bottom so that I could really feel that depth of despair of, I don't want to live this way anymore. Um, And even like, I don't want to live anymore. I just felt so dramatically, deeply entangled in unhappiness that was out of my control. I felt like I couldn't, I, I was a slave to your choices. That's really how I felt until luckily someone else who had the experience that I needed to have a little guidance was able to help me to see there's actually a way better way to live life. And when I did that, when I truly surrendered to God, all the things that were out of my control and then started asking him to help me work on the things that were in my control, I gained back so much peace and happiness for myself. I, I accepted that it was only up to me to get myself, um, to heaven and it wasn't my job to get you there. And it just changed the way that I look at everything. And it's not, it was not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing, but the more I've practiced it, the better I get at it, where I can see what's in my control and better identify more frequently, not perfectly, not always, not every day, but more frequently identify what is in my control and then, you know, ask God to help me see the difference and to do His will. And He shows me what's in my control and then He helps me to see this is not in your control and you need to touch your nose and 
realize what is in your control and work on you and let the rest go. And you know, it's, it's magic. It works. It works when you allow people to be in charge of themselves and when you work more on yourself. So those are my parting thoughts. And um, I hope that if you have a situation that feels out of your control and that feels like it's controlling you, that if it's not something that's yours to control, that you will have the courage to touch your nose and remember what is in your control and let go of what is not. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. We will see you in the next episode. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.